We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Argued to be one of the first pieces of Afrofuturism, the comment by W.E.B. Boyce. Up for discussion today. Let's get it. <laughs> like this guy got a word invented because of his writing. That's that that puts you in the history books, man. I think you and I both know Du Bois more for his essays. We're kind of just now kind of getting into more of his fiction. But I think it's really bold and interesting the way he took. To me, this was literary fiction, right? There there was a purpose and a meaning behind this piece. But he had such a fun sci-fi delivery that I think it it can easily reach out to connect with people. 100% agree. Oh, by the way, uh, did, did we say our names? I'm Uno. No. Welcome to the Codex Cantina. Yeah, <laughs> and I am Crypto Davis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're obviously very excited about them. Uh, du Bois is one of my favorite writers. I think he's incredible. Let's kick off some publication info. The comment was first published in 1920. In the 10th chapter of Du Bois's Dark Water Voices from Within the Veil. We will leave a link where you can read and listen for free down below. Now, Du Bois is an American sociologist and civil rights activist. We've talked before about how he was one of the first African Americans from Harvard, kind of a big deal. Helped, you know, co-start was one of the main founders of NAACP kind of a big deal, and wrote lots of essays about double consciousness and furthered the color line theory. A lot of really important things coming from this man. And I think this is actually a really interesting story where I would argue the color line could be something that he might have been exploring pretty thoroughly in this piece. Definitely. It's one of the major themes. No denying that whatsoever. But I kind of want to take it one step further and think that this piece almost feels anti-everything. It's anti-racism, it's anti-sexist, it's anti-European colonialization, it's anti-capitalist, it's anti-all establishments. And what would happen if you got rid of them, started to move forward to become better people, and then instead of the rug being yanked out, the rug is put back, I guess, is how you would think about it, um, because you have this ideology that is being flipped on its head and then put back in place how do you go back to that it's almost impossible and that's what we see jim davis kind of experience through this very epic story well it's not how do you get back back from it it's how do you escape from it and oh yeah and some and sometimes you can't right so let's go through a quick plot breakdown make sure we're on the same page and then let's continue the discussion we're obviously very interested in discussing this so for plot, we start with a messenger, Jim, who heads to the vaults of a bank as people discuss an impending comet. However, while in the vault, the door closes behind him. The comet passes the earth, and the deadly poison gas trailing behind murders everybody. When Jim makes his way out, he discovers that everyone in close proximity to him is dead from the gases. Jim explores the city, doing things he couldn't previously before, and eventually stumbles upon a woman's voice crying out for help in the upper window. The survivor is a wealthy white woman, Julia. 
The two travel to the bank where the woman's father works, but find no one left alive. The two try to use phones to call to the outside world, but to no avail. The two become close, even intimate, crossing over what have traditionally would have been a, a racial boundary, a color line between the two of them. When suddenly, the, fa- the woman's father returns with a group of white men. At first, the man is accosted and assumed to have done something wrong. The woman says that he saved her. They give Jim some money and then leave. As they depart, a black woman rushes out to Jim at the end. and plot. Isn't it crazy how like it takes something destructive to make us move forward and become better people, and then it can be done, undone in just an instant, that we only get better maybe through bad things. And that's a very pessimistic way to look at stuff, but I almost feel like that's what Du Bois is saying, that it always takes a tragedy for us to become better. Yeah, and I think that's what's so powerful about his writing is, to me, looking at it as an American, right, this is so gritty, and and I think that's what kind of, the violence makes it real, to me too because we've seen what 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 takes change a lot of times in america revolves around sometimes a physical force right the opening of this story i love we start with this quote he stood a moment on the steps of the bank watching the human river that swirled down broadway few noticed him few ever noticed him save in a way that stung he was outside the world nothing as he had said bitterly, bits of the words of the walkers came to him. And I think this opening paragraph is stunning for several reasons, right? It gives us the setting that we're in a city, let alone Broadway, New York City, right? Very specific. We get information about the character's past trauma, about racism, how, you know, a lot of times he feels stung, and and how does he feel about it? He's bitter. And what are the current events? There's this stream of people talking about comments, and he exists outside of society. He is pushed to the back. The president says, you go to the basement, and he's ordered around from, quote-unquote, from the story, valuable men. So much information immediately dropped on you by Du Bois. Yeah, and I feel like he's trying to set the stage to suggest all these things, a lot of foreshadowing, and you, you see not only the racial stuff, but the social hierarchy that's created because of these racial issues that are going to make these divides and then pull them out and see what happens. Can people be better? Mm-hmm. So to your point, we have a cataclysmic event to change things. Boom, right? He's in the vault. Everybody dies. He comes out. And it's so sad to me when the first thing he recognizes, he just says, oh my gosh, I'm I'm a black man around a bunch of dead white people with a whole bunch of money. I need to get out of here, right? Like that's, that, you hear jokes like from Dave Chappelle and stuff like that where they talk about that, like, oh crap, we better get out of here before the white man finds us, right? Like it's so sad that it can be presented both in a comedic fashion as well as in a very sad and tragic perspective. And I think for this way, I think you're meant to take it tragically. And what does he do? He kind of, now that, that he he is freed from these expectations of, of society, of what society tells him he ought to be worth, you know, he's not one of the valuable men, quote unquote, what's he do? He starts exploring parts of the city that he couldn't go to before, places he was denied. Remember when this was written, you know, this is post-Reconstruction, but we aren't equal. This is pre-Civil Rights. There were still Jim Crow laws. You know, the, the people who were of color were treated poorly, denied rights. So now when he's no longer being denied rights by whom? All these people are dead. 
he can do what he wants. And you can see him start to kind of explore this. And I think you get to see a little bit of a shift in Jim's thinking. He starts to become a little bit more confident, perhaps, like as the story starts to progress. But this is definitely the turning point that when you remove society's pressures, it releases society's weight upon a consciousness, particularly when your consciousness is viewed as as different or, or, or spit upon, basically, by society. And when there isn't a group of society, but when he just finds Julia, what happens when he hears her talking? He thinks it's the voice of God because he thinks he's the only one left. So when it's just one other person, those societal norms don't matter anymore because they just have each other. And it's kind of like that Adam and Eve, like we're the only two, so we've got to make this work. And it's only when multiple people are introduced that we see that that fabric of life and society and those norms be you know being beat back into them and it's really sad that we can't just be us that we will always be influenced by others and i think that's what du bois is trying to say here is that if you break this mold we'll all be better but we won't because it's the standard we're used to and i think we see these really sad lines like it says the shackles seem to rattle and fall from his soul and i think that's very symbolic you know we're not that many generations removed at this point in time from slavery i think shackles is meant to be a representation of that you know his oppression of how he's kept down and you see now he's starting to step up he's starting to feel like a leader right we get quotes where it says it was as though some mighty pharaoh lived again or curled a syrian lord he turned and looked upon the lady and found her gazing straight at him so now you see him he was never able to i think you know, feel like a leader or, or or one of the valuable men. And now he's being compared to the Pharaoh or Syrian Lord. And it's all because the pressures of society's, you know, con- construct of racism is removed. He can finally be, you know, the, the role that I think he maybe wants to be. Yeah. And I think that Julia might want to be better too, but she doesn't know how because she's been taught this racism. And we've talked about that before that, Racism is a taught behavior, and there's a quote from the story, they, quote, black men are not simply dark white men, they are not men in the sense of Europeans are men, because Mm. that's what she is led to believe about him, and she's got to start trying to break those preconceived notions about who Jim is. Yeah. Did you pick up on any, like, religious elements to the story? Like, I wasn't really sure how to assign value, but I saw quotes like this where they'd say, slowly, noiselessly. They move towards each other, the heaven above, the seas around, the city grim and dead below. And it it definitely pulls on these strings of, I mean, obviously it's referencing heaven here, but this idea of him caught between heaven and hell, the idea of these uh, religious symbols. Did, did you pick them on them at all? I I was so enthralled with all the other anti-establishment and all the other you know social, racial, and issues, and just the cool setting of this. And the first time we've read a sci-fi by Du Bois that I was kind of lost on it. And I'm I'm sure it's there. Maybe if we took another pass through and I looked at it specifically for it, I could find it. But I think it's very vague if it is there. It, it was. I didn't have a strong pull, but I definitely noticed them. Let's talk about the return of Julia's father with the crowd of white men, the white mob, if you will. If you take the quote literally from the text, honk, 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 came the mad cry again, and almost from their feet a rocket blazed into the air and scattered its stars upon them. She covered her eyes with her hands, and her shoulders heaved. 
He dropped and bowed, groped blindly on his knees about the floor. So you see like these these symbols, you know, the stars bursting through the air, and she heaves, right? While he is humbled, he bows to the ground. Like it's the immediate return of the structure of society, the white man, that he knows what he's going to be relegated to. And that's why he is just immediately almost emasculated from feeling like a king or a lord to bowing and falling to his knees on the ground. And I thought that was just it's it's what it's what makes some writing just so real. It's lines like this, I think. I looked at it also historically that you're thinking of this kind of rockets bursting in air and you're going to the national anthem and Jim is maybe thinking there is two Americas and I don't get to be a part of one of them and I was just about to be and I thought things were going to improve and they're not. They're going to go right back the way they were even after this apocalyptic event. We still can't get past something as simple as race. Right. Right, and they immediately accost him, call him the N-word, try to buy him off, right, but give him money. And this is where that color line concept comes in too, right? As soon as, as the structure of, of whiteness returns, Julia is like, oh, well, well, don't kill him. He saved me, right? Does she stay with, with, I mean, they were about to have an intimate moment, I want to say. And does she stay with him or is she just carried off by the white folk? No, I think she's definitely carried off she she was about i think to really embrace her humanity and maybe that's what maybe my kind of view of it was that she was finally achieving humanity and getting past you know what society norms have told her what she was supposed to do and she just nope goes off because <laughs> this easy it's easy it's easy to go back into what we know the one last quote i would bring up about the religion here was the roar and ring of swift elevators shooting upward from below made the great tower tremble. A murmur and babble of voices swept in upon the night. And I couldn't help but think about the tower trembling and also the babel, like the Tower of Babel kind of being a reference here potentially. If you think about what that story is, it's about man building their their own, like succumbing to their own hubris, right? Man thought that they could take it all and build, you know, that bridge to heaven in a sense. And here is the white man that comes along and starts to have that form of, uh, of greed where they're trying to, you know, build upon the, the backs and labors of, of other men, basically, uh, to what gain for their own purpose. So it kind of felt like the tower of Babel conversation here too, where we're having a society built upon greed and, and self-desire. I might be reaching there. I might be reaching, but I'm, I'm just saying there were a lot of religious elements and like it, it just, it spoke to me a little bit there and that's how I took it. Yeah. I mean, not to sound too cynical about it, but I feel like that it was so brief. And again, there was, it was so vague for me. I was, it, I, I, I didn't, I didn't see it. There was just, the other was just too hit me in the face. And I, I was so enthralled by this of, are they going to reachieve, you know, being better people? I, I don't know. Was Jim going to free himself, himself of these societal norms that, you know, a lot of times you're lesser than, you're lesser than, you're lesser than. Well, what happens? You finally start to believe that. Uh, was he going to break from the norms? He's like, you know what? This is a new brave world. I'm not going to fit into these old social norms. This does not matter. This is something new. And I'm going to I'm going to start something better for maybe my, my children one day. Ah, I don't know. Ca- what they keep calling Jim? <laughs> 
You talking about the N word? No. Like his his title. Oh, I don't remember. Messenger. Oh. So I'm just saying, I think there might be more. Read it again, maybe. Oh. Audience members out there, like you, I think you could pull some stuff out there. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, the messenger. Yeah, that's that's pretty deep. Okay. Ooh. Okay. I'm so, feeling it now. I'm feeling it now. Okay. Well, we just need three points. Three points brings you to my side. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you win. I give up. <laughs> no, no. I, I definitely, I mean, clearly the, the main point is that I just think, you know, sometimes writers use other mythology and other elements to kind of layer in the piece, add more meaning to it. And that seemed like one of those little things that's kind of layered onto it to Du Bois's brilliant writing, right? Like only amazing writers do stuff like that. And Du Bois, clearly I give credit to being an amazing writer. 100% agree. I think one of the reasons that we love Du Bois so much is he's able to craft this story. He's able to give us character development. He's able to give us world building and also weave in there not only all these things about history and societal, you know, norms but also all that religious element. That's a lot crammed in for what, like an 11-page story? Absolutely incredible. Yep, let's move into our subjective wrap-up and ratings. We'll leave a playlist down below for more Du Bois talks. What are you going to give this one, Crypto? I'm going to give it a nine. I I just, I, I love his writing style. And I, you know, if it's sci-fi and post-apocalyptic and it has deep meaning to it and it has historical revelant, uh, revelant, yeah, and it has historical revel, why can't I say it? Thank you. Relevance. And it has historical relevance. You win. You win. If it had a little bit of comedy, maybe it would have pushed that 9.5 or maybe a perfect 10. But I I didn't feel (laughs) like I chuckled. At all, because it's a very serious piece, in my opinion. It is. It <laughs> yeah. is. You, you, you could actually, if you were to make this into like a show or a rendition, like if you have like the right director, like I talked about, like with like, like that Dave Chappelle moment, like there's there's parts where like you could add humor into it, I suspect. But as it is written on this, very serious, very sad, very tragic. And I think it definitely hits home because of how real and how truthful the story is. He's a very honest writer, uh, except for the whole everybody dying from it, you know. Yeah, maybe Key and Peele could pull it off, but <laughs> we're not we're not going to pull it off. <laughs> no, no, no. I will. I, I think I've talked myself up even to through this, too, that I, I think there's just more here the closer you read. And there's probably a lot more out there to discuss on this. If you had thoughts out there that we didn't talk about in this piece, uh, hit us down below what you thought and what you took away from this. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I feel like we missed stuff. We post videos every Monday and Thursday. If you're down for a conversational approach to literature, hit that subscribe button to join us. We'll see you on the journey. Una out. Peace.